review I meant. Same thing. Uh-huh. Right. Well, uh, if you can see the map on the screen, this is kind of what happened in Job chapter 1. The The Babylonians early on were called the Chaldeans. And uh, the Chaldeans came and robbed and killed a bunch of servants and stole some of Job's animals. And and the Sabaeans, they came up, the Arabians from the south, and uh, killed some servants and stole some livestock. And so this land of Uz is probably here to the, I guess that's the east of the Red Sea the southeast of Israel. And um, this Chaldeans, we know that uh, Abraham was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees. And so that's uh, modern day uh, Iraq. But uh, historically it's Babylon. And it's a little hard to tell, but this is sometimes called the Fertile Crescent. It's sometimes called Mesopotamia. And uh, I seen that word Mesopotamia once, and this is kind of interesting. When you when you see Mesopotamia, it looks a little bit like the word hippopotamus. That potamia is on the end of it. Mesopotamian hippopotamus. Um, it that that potamus means water, and so. Mesopotamia means the land between the waters. So Mesopotamia is between the, I think the Euphrates is the lower one, and the Tigris is the upper one. And I think I think uh, Euphrates is even mentioned in Genesis uh, chapter 2 as being one of the four rivers in the Garden of Eden. But uh, So some people think the Garden of Eden was around, uh, I mean, they, they call that the uh, something of civilization, like the birthplace of civilization. And what one thing's cool, I mean, you read the the evolutionists, you know, who, who say how many millions and billions of years old things are, but do you know that uh, all, all, everybody pretty much agrees that man began recording his History between 2500 and 4500 BC, and that—that's about what the Bible says. The the uh, our our ushers chronology dates the Old Testament, uh, Adam and Eve in the garden around 4004 years BC or before Christ, and uh, that that's what uh, almost all the anywhere between 2500 and 4500 is when people believe that man began writing or recording his history and so uh, it agrees with the Bible uh, good good archaeology good science always agrees with the Bible so anyway uh, when we were in Israel uh, there's there's a, a place along uh it's called like the Caves of Hezekiah, and it kind of takes you a little bit underground, but it's you're right next to the wall, the Temple Mount wall, 
And uh, in there, they showed us a little slide presentation. And uh, you, you may have, I think everybody here has probably heard of the Dome of the Rock, the Muslim mosque. That uh, It's actually not a mosque. There is a mosque on the Temple Mount, but the Dome of the Rock is not exactly a mosque. But uh, the reason they call it Dome of the Rock is there's actually a rock there. And the Jews teach that that is not only the place where uh, Abraham offered up Isaac, but they believe that that is where God formed man out of the dust of the earth and made Adam a living soul. And so they show a little presentation there of kind of behind the the Temple Mount walls and under the Dome of the Rock. And there's actually a rock, and it's very sacred to them as well as the Muslims, that they think that's where God placed Adam in the garden. So that... And 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 I, I believe that as well. So I believe that's where the Garden of Eden was. Uh, and and it and it and it 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 included all that land. And so then you know, remember it said that God drove man eastward out of Eden and placed a cherub at the tree of life to guard it, uh, lest man eat it and and, and he be uh, sealed and live forevermore in his sin. So God didn't want him to take of it after he had sinned. So anyway, uh, that's a little bit of history. Uh, I was just thinking of all those things this morning, so I wanted to share that just as introduction. And so uh, there's one thing I failed to tell you last week. On uh, at the right at the end of Job six, that I thought I would include today, just to before we get to chapter seven. So, chapter six and seven are pretty much Job's rebuttal of Eliphaz, uh, the Temanite who spoke first, and uh, you'll see uh, Teman or Eliphaz there, and Tema the the land there. So that's where Eliphaz the Timonite was probably from. And I think I have one more slide here. It just, I put it there just because uh, it shows where Petra is located, kind of south of the Dead Sea. And uh, I don't know if that's part of modern day Jordan or not, maybe. No, that's part of Saudi Arabia. So Jordan may come all the way down to the tip of the Red Sea there. So anyway, so let's look now at the last few verses of Job chapter 6. <clears throat> and I wanted to uh, try to think if I wrote this. Yeah, it does go all the way down there. Thank you. All right, so Job chapter 6, verse 28. Uh, this is Job speaking. He says, Now therefore be content, uh, look upon me, for it is evident unto you if I lie. So he, he's saying he hasn't sinned. He says, Return, I pray you, let it not be iniquity, yea, return again, my righteousness is in it. 
Is there iniquity in my tongue? Cannot my taste discern perverse things? So he's he's basically saying, uh, you're not convincing me that I have sin is not why this calamity has come upon me. So hold your place there and look with me at John chapter, I believe it's John it's 6 or 8. Again, my, my phone's being used to record, so let me see if I can do this from memory. Let's see if I can. I'm going to cheat really quick. There's a verse right in here where Jesus Christ says, Which of you convinceth me of sin? Does anybody see that? Uh, it's either John 6 or 8. 6 is in the first part of it, they're doing the fish. Okay, it's not that then. It's probably. Is there in Galilee, there did the Sea of Tribeers? Yeah, Tiberius. Yeah, he's doing uh, you know, the bread and the fish. They got so many loaves. And they asked him to sit down and make people. All right, 846. 846. Uh, Pam, we'll start with you and let you read that if you would. Which of you can convince us me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? Right, and so my, my point here is just that these are ways that Job and Jesus Christ are similar. Job is saying, you know, my righteousness is in me. Uh, I can taste uh, iniquity. You know, he's basically saying the same thing that Jesus says here. Which of you convinceth me of sin? So Christ had no sin uh, literally, and although Job does later uh, confess he is a sinner, he's saying here that uh, his sin was not the cause of this uh, calamity and these things that befell him in uh, Job chapters 1 and 2. Alright, so now let's go to Job 7. Alright, I'm going to turn my page, Job chapter 7. Everybody's got their hand out. And I gave you kind of a famous quote here at the top of your handout. Of course, I left our, our verse here our, that uh, we can trust God even when we're suffering. But my quote here is from C.S. Lewis. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. And that have everybody heard that before? Have it, has anybody ever heard that statement before? That's new. Yeah, he's he's a pretty famous writer and Christian. Yeah, that's him. Have you? Well, I, I think he died in the 70s, maybe. So he 
he's a little bit, I mean, he's kind of our contemporaries. If you were born in that uh, time frame or before, so he's kind of a mod- famous modern day Christian. And so that's what Job and his friends are dialoguing about is Job suffering his pains. God is shouting to him in his pains. <clears throat> and so, uh, Belinda, I'll have you read Job 1 or 7 1. And then uh, let's all of us, besides Belinda, turn to Hebrews 9. So he, turn to Hebrews 9, and then we'll have uh, Belinda read Job 7 1. And this is a, the Hebrew verse is a famous verse that all of us should uh, memorize and and I'll show you why in just a minute so Hebrews 9 27 so alright go ahead Belinda and read uh, 7-1 is there not an appointed time to man upon earth are not his days also like the days of an hiring alright and down later in this verse Job uses the word complain that he is complain he is telling his complaints and this first section I labeled Job complains about the brevity of, brevity of life in other words how short it is and so he is saying uh, we all have an appointed time upon earth and I know it's probably hard for you maybe none of you can see my Bible but in my Bible I, I kind of use that as a place to uh, reference death or the brevity of life and so uh, some of my verses here are about that and so uh, Suzanne would, would you read the uh, Hebrews 9.27 for us and as it is appointed unto men once to die but after this the judgment Right. So again, they they both use this word. So this is the word that goes in your blank, the word appointed. So we all have an appointment with death that uh, we will die and we will face the Lord. And so Job knows that there's just a certain amount of time on earth for man. And uh, But the writer of Hebrews tells that uh, as it is appointed unto man wants to die. And the reason that we should all have this, if not memorize the verse, memorize where it's at, is because uh, this is something that we use when we, when we go to India. Because they believe in uh, you know, reincarnation. And so it's important that we know the Bible says that we only die once and after this, the judgment. We're, we're, we're going to stand before the Lord. As uh, Jason pointed out yesterday in his uh, message, he, he said, well, as Christians, we're going to stand before uh, the judgment seat of Christ, but lost people will stand at the great white throne and they'll be judged as sinners and we'll be judged for our stewardship of what we did in this body at the at the judgment seat of Christ. Sometimes you might have heard it recalled to uh, as the Bema seat. I think that's the Greek word is Bema. So sometimes uh, preachers will use the Bema seat for the judgment seat of Christ. So there's this appointed time. And uh, I, you see on your handout, I, had, I underlined the First Samuel verse. So let, let's all look there as well. Hold your place in Job. And look at the First Samuel 26.10. And when you first read this, you might think, 
Well, that's kind of why are we going to that verse, Steve? <laughs> and uh, there, there is a reason. You know, with today, with the technology, I mean, people are living longer. Do you know I heard, uh, this is weird, sometime when I'm driving home from work, I listen to wall builders. Maybe you've heard of David Barton. He's a famous, probably the most famous a Christian historian. And he was saying that at the time of the writing of the, the Declaration of Independence, uh, Benjamin Franklin was in his early 80s. I think he lived to be 83 or 86. And uh, he gave a speech that was 14 sentences long, and he, he quoted 14 different Bible verses in his 14-sentence statement. But he said uh, that the average lifespan in America at the time of that writing of the Declaration of Independence was about 36 or 38 years old in America. And he was an 83 or 4-year-old man at the right. So, you know, right now that's maybe more the lifespan around that 80 years or so. But uh, anyway, uh, so... uh, uh, kind of my point here in, in the first Samuel the 26 let's, let's look at verse 10 there's things that you can do to cut your life short and so 26:10 says this is uh, David David said furthermore as the Lord liveth the Lord shall smite him so this is a reference to Saul he's saying that God could kill Saul or his day shall come to die. So that's that's the appointed time. You know, all of us are intended to die at a certain time. But, you know, if we do some wicked thing, God could kill us early. It says, or he shall descend into battle and perish. So Saul could not die of natural cause. He could enter into battle and die. And then he says in verse 11, The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth my mine hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray thee, take thou now the spear that is in the, uh, at his bolster and the cruise of water and let us go. So uh, David would not allow his mighty men to kill Saul. He's like, you know, the Lord can kill him or he can just go till his appointed time. Or he might die in battle, but I'm not going to you know, put forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. So there are maybe different ways or different uh, times to die, but uh, really all of us have kind of a natural time that we have an appointed time. It's, it's part of, of uh, life is, is this death. And so any, any comments about that? Yeah, Belinda. Um, my brother's going to need vengeance on this person. I'm like, whose hand is bigger, yours or God's? Mm. Mm. So that God can build it. Mm. Good. That's good advice. So, Hopefully he'll he'll hear that. I, I know there's some anger and animosity there. And so, yeah. But uh, anyway, I just think that's an interesting statement that Job has. He's telling his friend, you know, hey, is there not an appointed man, time unto man? And his days are like the days of an hireling. <clears throat> now your next section on your handout, this comparisons to the brevity of life. He mentions uh, 
life is like the days of a hireling. So, what do, what do you think of when you hear that? How is that true? The uh, hireling's like a worker. So, how is life like the day of a worker? It's time to go. You flash. Okay. Okay. So yeah, when it's quitting time, you you have some rest. You have a reprieve. So yeah, no, that's exactly right. Uh, I mean, Job uses this wonderful language here that uh, there's a time for him to rest and not be at work. And so life is like that. Um, And he he mentions in verse 2, as a servant earnestly desireth the shadow, like like the end of the day, uh, you know, it's like toward the end of a. So life is like the end of a day. You, you know, your shadow's long. The sun's going down, uh, and and as an hireling looketh for the reward of his work. So he's worked all day or worked all his life, and now there's a appointed time where he can receive rewards uh, for his efforts. And then if you jump clear down to verse 7, he says, Oh, remember that my life is is wind. Mine eye shall no more see good. So he's saying life is like wind and it's unpredictable like yesterday and it's strong and maybe later this afternoon it'll quit blowing. And so just like your life ends, the, the wind will quit blowing or it'll shift. Uh, I gave you some more verses about that. Life being like wind. And all of this is just beautiful language that, uh, you know, I, I was thinking this morning, uh, I took our dogs for a walk, and right next to our house, they're, they're building like uh, 50, 51 or two fourplexes. So, like four people, so like four townhomes in each building and so there's like 200 new homes going and I was just thinking of what Job uh, you know his his uh, home may have not been but I'm just trying to picture these guys sitting here talking to him are they outside are they sitting on a rock or is he still in the ashes and scraping himself I mean I picture him not being too comfortable but trying to get comfortable and 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 he's just really thinking about life itself and uh, his time uh, may be over he thinks or wishes it were and uh, but just going down through here he's, he, in verse 9 it's as a cloud consumed and vanished away Job 7 9 as the cloud is consumed and vanisheth away so he that goeth down to the grave shall not shall come up no more so he knows that, uh, again, there's no reincarnation. You're not going to come back. Uh, once it's over, your time uh, to serve the Lord is done. It's like a shadow in chapter uh, well, chapter 8, verse 9. In fact, just turn over a page. <clears throat> we'll look at a couple other places here in Job 8, 9. It says, uh, For we are but as yesterday and know nothing, because our eyes upon our earth are a shadow. Uh, our days upon earth are a shadow. And so that's he's liking his uh, life to that. And uh, it's over and done. Yesterday's gone. And then uh, go to chapter 14. Job 14. 
These are the two places in Job that I always go to to, to talk about uh, the brevity of life. Chapter uh, Job 7 and then Job 14. <clears throat> and Job 14, 1 and 2, Man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. And so, uh, again, it's like a shadow. It's like this flower that's cut down. I mean, we can look out here in the field this morning and the grass has turned brown and the, the, the flowers are not budding or blooming. <clears throat> and he's saying life, life is like that. Now, it's interesting... Uh, I think all of us are familiar with uh, Matthew chapter 6 where it it says that uh, we're to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, And then it says boast not thyself of tomorrow. In fact, uh, let's go to to Matthew 6 and see that. So hold your place here in Job 7 and go to Matthew 6. Because he, he makes this comment about grass. And uh, I, I've, I've studied this out a little bit before. I think it's Peter that says, All flesh is as grass, and the flower thereof withereth away. And this Matthew 6 uh, really supports that. Because it talks about Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed. Look at uh, 28, Matthew 6, 28. And why take ye thought for raiment, or that's clothing, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like uh, one of these. And then notice, look at verse 30. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, in, in verse in verse 28 it said consider the lilies of the field and in verse 30 it says God closed the grass of the field so if all flesh is as grass this grass he's talking about is the lily it's flowering grass you know like clover we have clover here and it has blooms on it and so this lilies is like the grass of the field but it has its flowers so both is true our flesh is as grass and Job is saying that our life is like this flower that bloomed and budded and it is cut down in the fall or winter of life Life. and uh, so grass is, is temporary and it needs you know uh, you know moisture to be green and the right conditions and so anyway I, I liked all that uh, and of course it goes on down to seek ye first the kingdom of God so we you know we, we do work for our clothing we do work for our food but God is saying you know the important thing is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and he'll give us the food and the clothing and the shelter and so these are some of the same things that Christ talked about that Job is talking about and uh, my last point on your handout there under letter B was uh, it's our life is like a dream it's like a vision of the night that was in Job 20 but uh, We need to keep moving in Job 7. So go to Job 7 and verse 3. 
And uh, Angie, if you'll read that. Job 7.3 So am I made to possess months of vanity and weariness of wearisome nights are appointed to me. <clears throat> so this months of vanity, he, he is giving us a time frame you know, we, we know that Job's friends came and sat with him for seven days and seven nights. So they sat with him for one week, and that's uh, comparable to the tribulation period that is called Daniel's 70th week. It is a week of tribulation. And yet, uh, we don't know how long uh, Job suffered. When that day came that uh, Satan had the uh, Chaldeans attack and had the Sabaeans attack and then the great wind that came and killed his children and then there was a day a few days later probably that uh, God allowed him to to strike his health and he had these boils from the crown of his head to the sole of his foot and there he sits and his his wife uh, tells him to curse God and die so that, but uh, now, now in chapter seven, he tells his friends that it's been months of va- months of vanity. He is, he has now been in this condition for months. And uh, hold your place there. Look at Job twenty nine. Job twenty nine two says almost the same thing. Twenty nine two. I think this is Job talking here. Yeah. Job 29.1, Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, uh, Job 29.2, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me. So he, in chapter 29, he mentions months, and here he mentions months. So uh, my, my speculation is this could be as much as 42 months, up to three and a half years, that his... Uh, condition last that he's in this uh, great tribulation and trouble. So, uh, letter D, Job's restlessness in 4 through 6. Pam, we're back to you because Emmett's not here. Chapter 7, 4. Yep. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise and the night be gone? And I am full of tossing to and fro unto the dawning of the day. My flesh is clean with worms, yeah. And ponds of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is wind. Mine eyes shall no more see good. Yep. And so he mentions there at the end of verse 6 that uh, his days are spent without hope. So I, I had you put hope in your, in your blank. And uh, studies show that the average person can go up to 40 days without food. The average person can go up to 3 days without water. I think you can go up to you know 7 or 10 minutes without air, but uh, Pat Lee reminds us we, we can't even live a second without hope. And, uh, and so yet, uh, this, this is how Job describes himself, is that we all need hope, and Job doesn't have any. His kids are dead, his possessions are gone, he's just hanging on and trusting the Lord rather 
uh, he slay him or not. Uh, the Lord is his hope. And then uh, what I put there, Pam read that his uh, he his suffering, he has some tossings, his flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust, his skin is broken, his body is loathsome. It's a hard word to say. And so he he's he's a mess. And this, uh, I know we've we've talked about Job being a type of the Jew in the tribulation. Uh, even even counting the uh, the location of Petra here, it's a place of wilderness where the Jews are going to be nourished for three and a half years. And uh, we've said that he's a type of Christ. That uh, we we looked at several reasons that. Uh, even uh, he he was uh, attacked without cause. We said in, in in the first couple chapters there, and we even seen that uh, this morning that uh, he is not convinced of sin, and Christ was not uh, had no sin. So there's ways that he's like Christ, but this is a picture of a lost man in hell. So those are kind of the three types, and we we we've talked about type. Uh, you know, the Bible says that Adam was a figure of, of him that was to come. Adam was a type of Christ. And now we're saying that Job is a type of the Jew in the tribulation. He's a type of Jesus Christ. And here, he's a type of a lost man in hell. Because, uh, do, do you know, uh, the Bible says for the Christian, when we see Christ, we are going to be like him. We, we get a glorified body, right? And uh, there's several places that show that. But for a lost person, uh, do you you know that hell is described as a place of fire and torment? It says, where the worm dieth not. It's it's two or three times there in John or Mark chapter nine. I think I gave you that reference. Yeah, Mark nine forty two through forty eight. And but do do you know when Christ was hanging on the cross? Uh, Psalm 22.6 prophesies that Christ says, I am a worm and no man. And uh, so, so think with me for a little bit. Um, just as the Christian, when we die, we get a glorified body like Christ. It'll, it'll be uh, eternal and we, we will be with the Lord forever. A lost person, he, uh, in fact, Turn, turn here to Isaiah 66. Hold your place in Job and go to Isaiah 66. Isaiah, Jeremiah. So right before Jeremiah. This is kind of a wild thought. But, but what animal is the devil like? He's like a serpent, isn't he? Well... Uh, when Job's saying, my, my skin is clothed with worms, and Christ on the cross says, I am a worm, and he suffered our torment for us. In Isaiah 66, 24, the last verse, the Bible says here, And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, for their worm shall not die, 
neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. So it says men's carcasses are like a worm. It's, it's like, uh, you know, no arms, no legs. It's just the, the corpse of a, of a worm. Isn't that grotesque to think about? And think about hell might be like that. If, if, if we as Christians take on uh, the, a glorified body like Christ and lost people take on the image of, of Satan and the worm and the, the serpent, that, that's just really a hideous thought, isn't it? And, and here in Isaiah, some people are able to look upon those carcasses and the worm. I mean, you think of just a... Uh, if you if you've been on a farm, you've seen. Uh, I've even seen live animals that had maggots on them. Uh, we we had a hog that got stuck under a wagon, and we finally got him out. But he had just he'd worn a sore, where, so he had this maggots, and we had to spray. I I don't know if he even lived. I think he may have ended up dying, but he he lived for a few days after that. But he got uh, anyway. You just you know kind of what maggots look like, and um, do you know the you know where uh, maggots come from, right? That they're like the larva of a fly. And do you know Beelzebub? The devil is called Beelzebub, and that means Lord of the Flies. And uh, so all this ties together, and there's just some deeper doctrinal things that Job is referencing here that just takes you beyond the story of him sitting there talking to his friends. They're talking about some eternal things and uh, just the imagery is so powerful, isn't it? And any thoughts? Uh, so the third blank was just the word lost. He pictures this lost man in hell that uh, has worms all over him. There's no light in hell. We right. Talk about fire. And fire always brings some kind of fire. Yes. Now, that Pam brings up a good thought, and I'll, I'll mention it so the people on Facebook can hear. She's saying that fire uh, has that hell is a place of outer darkness, uh, and it, it even talks about uh, the mid, midst of darkness. That, you know, the, the, the ninth plague on Egypt was darkness. It said that all the Israelites had light in their dwellings, but all Israel was dark. And it said it was a darkness you could feel. You could feel that it was... Uh, and it, so it was just a really a dark, dark. And hell is described like that. And she's saying, how can that there be the fires of hell as well as being dark? And kind of the answer is... Pam's some of the hottest fire uh, has no color. Uh, you've seen a blue flame that's hotter than a yellow flame, but there is hotter fire that doesn't have color. Black or something, right? it, it is, and so you can't have fire without color. I don't know at what degree, but do you, do you know the inside of the earth at the core? All we know about the core of the earth is that it's hot and it's dark. <laughs> And so we, we believe that hell is in the center of the earth and that that is how it's the center of gravity and at that center of the earth you have conditions that are similar to outer space. There's weightlessness. If you're in the center 
And so we believe that's where the bottomless pit is at. It, it's a pit with sides. It, says, it talks about the sides of the pit. But you can have a weightlessness in the center of the earth because you're at the center of gravity. And so anyway, it's just really wild to consider these things, isn't it? Uh, and uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that even more toward when we talk about the uh, fallen angels later in Job 38. So, good good questions. Uh, so, he talked about the brevity of life, and now in verses 6 and 7, he talks about uh, how short the days are, how swift they are. In verse 6 that Pam read, and uh, I guess we got time. We can, uh, we can look at chapter 9 here, 925. Uh, go, go over a page. Uh, Belinda, would you read 925 and 26? Now my days are swifter than the post. They flee away. They flee their good. They are passed away as the swift ships, as the eagle that hasted to the prey. Now, now, what do you think a post is? I'll ask Belinda. Put her on the spot. Well, over verse 6, yes. which are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Yeah. Uh, but the post, I mean, we think about a fence post maybe, but uh, uh, back in the day, uh, Belinda, that, that's where we get our uh, word for a postman or the postal service. Uh, that uh, It's a messenger. And, and they would pick the fastest messenger because they wanted to get the message there on time. You know, we had the Pony Express and, you know, they just could get a letter from... Uh, you know, I think the Pony Express only lasted a few years because I think the railroad kind of took its place. But Nine months. Was it, was it, I knew it was a short time, only nine months. Okay. But... Uh, Anyway, that's what it's a reference to. It's swift as a post. So they would pick their fastest men, uh, maybe women, that would run and deliver messages. And that's, that's where America gets the postal service from. Uh, so it's swift as a post. They flee away. Uh, so these days are swift. And uh, I've, I've honestly never seen a, a weaver's shuttle. Uh, they showed us kind of how they made some rugs and some weaving when we were in uh, Israel. But uh, one of the things I was listening to, uh, if you ever go to like a famous art places, when, when we went to Baker University just over here in Kansas, they have some really amazing tapestries. So they, they would weave these huge, almost like a painting on, on cloth that would depict a story and uh, the thing I was listening to is if, if you were kind of up above it would be hard to see the picture until the, the you know the uh, tapestry was completed but so the weaver's shuttle goes fast but it's hard to really see you know until they're done what, what they're making with these tapestries but anyway I just trying to visualize all this the days are like a weaver's beam and they're swifter than a post they're swift as ships passing on the sea the days are like eagles swift to the prey and uh, I think it's uh, David that says that his days are as a hand breadth so just, just the breadth of your hands usually like four inches or so so short short time and so in uh, verses 8 through 10, 
Suzanne, if we'll up here, we'll let you read uh, Job 7, 8 through 10. Sorry, 7? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, remember that my life is wind. My mind, my, my eye shall not, shall no, no more good. The eye of him that hath seen me shall see me no more. Thy eyes are upon me, and I am not. As the cloud is consumed and vanished away, so that goeth down the so he goeth down the grave shall come up no more. And one more. He shall return no more to his house, neither shall his place know him anymore. Yeah, so this first section of these ten verses ends here with him kind of saying goodbye. And uh, I, I don't know if you if you've thought about it, but uh, you know th- there'll be a last time that all of us. He, he's saying like, you guys are not going to see me no more. You know, I'm not going to wear these clothes anymore. I'm not uh, going to go over to this place anymore so it's kind of wild to think that there was a last time that each of us do certain things and so he feels like he's going down to the grave and uh, grave here I gave you a little definition you've probably heard of the word sheol and uh, this is the Old Testament designation for the abode of the dead and it's also translated hell in the pit. So sometimes it's just a reference to the physical grave. And sometimes it, it's also translated hell or pit. And he, he's not saying that he's going to hell or the pit. Uh, and, and honestly, uh, um, hell actually has two compartments. It has kind of the paradise side. Because see... The Old Testament saints could not go to heaven because uh, Christ had not died, and uh, you know sin could not enter in. He he hasn't sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat yet to make that atonement, and so uh, Old Testament saints, their soul were in a place of comfort uh, and uh, a place of rest, like uh, Lazarus. Remember, he was in Abraham's bosom. They called it. Uh, but hell contained the torment side and the comfort side. And uh, there was this great gulf fixed between the two. And we believe that is the bottomless pit is separating. And so the rich man was in torment and he could see Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. And so that that's uh, really the, the basis for our understanding of these things. But uh, anyway, Job is saying that uh, he he he's going to the grave. This is the last time you're going to see me. I'm not going to come home anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. And so it's the last time for some things. And so I, I gave you there just as the teaching point. Uh, our thoughts should be on God's kingdom and not on tomorrow. So kingdom is what I had you put in your blank. Um. Because uh, in this section, the reason I labeled that, uh, his talk about the brevity of life and how swift the days are, it just made me think of Matthew 6 and uh, how we uh, 
we don't know what tomorrow brings forth. It, it's got troubles of its own, and so we're just going to seek the kingdom of God and let Him take care of tomorrow. So this last section here, he complains about the burdens of his life. Uh, 11 through 21 is the last half of this chapter. We, I divided it up into two sections. We, we don't really have these paragraph markers, and so you might split things up differently than I do. But in verse 11, he starts out with the word, therefore. And so he, he, he kind of shifts gears a little bit. And he, you know, basically, since I'm not coming back and I'm getting ready to die, therefore, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain. There's that word complain uh, that I used in my headers. Uh, I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. So he, he makes this proclamation because there's a point in time, the days are fast and short, and I am not going, I'm going down to the grave. Therefore, I'm going to say what's on my mind. I'm going to speak what my complaint is. I've got uh, some bitterness here. I'm going to speak them. And then he says in verse 12, uh, Angie, would you read verse 12? Am I a seed or a will that thou sentest to watch over me? Yeah. Now that, this is weird, and this is uh, where it does go uh, above the here and now. He he says he's going to uh, set this watch. So am, am I like a sea or a whale? So I put the word watch in your next blank there. The, God, you've set a mark on them. Uh, you've set a watch on them. And I gave you a couple reference here. Uh, seas have doors in Job 38. And uh, also in Job 38, the seas have springs. And uh, some of this is a little bit uh, mysterious. I'm just, I'm just kind of the messenger here. And I don't totally understand what God is watching over this sea about. But He does... He does talk about uh, a whale. And look look with me in Genesis chapter 1. So go to the very front of your Bible, very first chapter. And God says a pretty, it's a little bit mysterious uh, why. I mean, all of us live here in the Midwest, and we are not used to seeing the ocean and sea creatures but here in Genesis chapter 1 it's in verse uh, on day 5 verse 20 says and God said let the waters bring forth abundantly that's all right. oh I hope it's not (laughs) yeah we're going to keep going here. So let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that it that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And 21 says, And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. So God, uh, you know, of all, he didn't talk about dolphins or penguins or 
you know, catfish or sharks or, you know, freshwater or saltwater. He brings up these great whales. And God sets some kind of watch on the whales. And, and Job is saying, am I a whale or why are you setting this watch over? He knows something's going on, but he doesn't know what it is. And now uh, go to Matthew 24, I believe, or 22. Nope, Matthew 12. Matthew 12. Uh, if, if you've ever read Jonah, you know, some scholars go to great degree. Jonah says that, jo- that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. But look, look at Matthew 12 and verse... Uh, yeah, I'm in chapter 13, so... Uh, Angie, why don't you read 40 for us? For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Yeah, so here, so it's really interesting. Jonah was swallowed by a great fish, and here in the New Testament, the Bible says that it was a whale. And he was in the whale's belly for three days and three nights. So that is the sign that Israel was given that Jesus Christ would be in the heart of the earth. And what do we say is in the heart of the earth? Hell and Abraham's bosom, uh, the torment and the... So Christ went to the place of rest. He... Uh, Acts chapter 2 that was Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost that uh, he went uh, that Christ went to hell and uh, he, he didn't go to the torment side he went to the paradise side but it says he preached to the spirits that were in prison the hell's like a prison <coughs> in fact uh, Proverbs says it has chambers that hell has chambers <coughs> And so it's like a a worm in a chamber where it's dark and fire and you're like a worm and it's uh, hell. And Jesus preached to the spirits in prison and uh, he was there for three days and three nights. And we know that he rose from the dead uh, after this three days and he uh, ascended to the Father. And the Bible said that he led captivity captive. You remember that? It's Ephesians chapter 4, 8. And so now that Christ had died, there's entrance into heaven and he sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat and he made a way of atonement for the people of God. And so now those Old Testament saints are in uh, heaven with the Lord. And right now, the Abraham's uh, bosom is empty. And so hell is getting fuller every day, right? And yet uh, the paradise part... And if you remember, uh, Paul himself, he went uh, up to the third heaven and he heard things un, un, uh, unable, he's unlawful to speak about. <clears throat> and uh, so he, he witnessed uh, that, that third heaven and he called it paradise. And so Jesus led the paradise as God's people with him and they're... It's now uh, in the third heaven. So the first heaven being the atmosphere that we see out here where there's uh, clouds and birds. And the second heaven being the stars and the moon and uh, the celestial bodies. (coughs) And uh, then the third heaven being 
the abode of God and it's it's sealed off it is the third heaven and so anyway uh, so I'm not sure all about this sea having doors maybe that's a reference to the the heavenly seas the Bible says that there's water above the heavens and so maybe it's a reference to that and these whales uh, and, and isn't it odd that people call uh, rockets space ships they call them ships just like a ship in the ocean and they, they do that because there is waters out there and uh, anyway even even astronaut uh, nautical is, is a, a mariner's term nautical like water so astronauts and so even man unknowingly talks about uh, water being in the heavens. And, uh, and Job describes it as, uh, I think it's in Psalms where it says, Deep answereth to deep. So we call the waters of the seas and oceans like the deep. But it, there's also a deep above the heavens. It's, there's waters above the firmament. And so deep answers to deep, and so Job describes it as frozen. It, it's uh, and 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 we believe that's the crystal sea. You know, when when water freezes, when it's uh, real still, it's just crystal clear and it's smooth as glass. And so in John the the uh, the. Uh, John the Apostle writes Revelation. He he sees a sea of glass before the throne. And so we think that sea of glass is the deep that's frozen over. And the heavens above it, third heaven with God and and uh, the others below it. So uh, real, real quickly, let's go back to Job 7. I'm kind of off on some deeper things today. And uh, ho- hopefully it's uh, edifying to, to each of you and helps me to kind of remember and rehearse these things but verse 12 that Angie read that Job wonders if he's part of a sea or whale that God's setting a watch on him or over him uh, and then uh, if, if we're back to Pam would you read uh, 13 uh, through 15 I guess when I say when I say my death shall comfort me my counsel shall ease my complaint then uh, me with dreams and terrifies me with visions, through visions, so that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than life, rather than my life. I loathe it. I would not live all I left me alone, for my days are vanity. What is man that thou shouldst magnify him and thou shouldst set? Okay, hold up there, because 13 through 16, uh, Job, he seeks comfort. He doesn't find it while he's awake. He seeks comfort while he's sleeping, but he's terrified of these dreams and visions. Verse 15, he chooses death rather than life. Verse 16, Job seeks purpose but finds vanity. And then in verse 17, uh, Pam read, he contemplates a profound thought and question and this is something that uh, David and others have asked in verse 17 what is man that thou shouldest magnify him and that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him and so he is feeling just lower than low and yet he knows that he is God is setting this watch on him and over him and uh 
he really feels that uh, why is God magnifying, you know, of all the creatures, great and small, why is man being magnified? And God does magnify man and has given him dominion uh, over these things. And, uh, and God has set his heart upon him, in other words, upon man. And then verse 18 is, is the follow-up question. And that thou shouldest visit him every morning and try him every moment. And he's like, you know, of this big earth and all these big things, God is focusing on man and uh, God is visiting him every morning. And so that those are things that uh, keep him encouraged. And so that was your next uh, blank was just the word visit. <clears throat> and we highlighted we highlighted this a few times in Jeremiah. And I, I gave you some of those uh, time of the Lord's visit. And it, it's really weird, y'all. Uh, if you look up the times that God visits, man, sometimes He's visiting for judgment and to bring uh, to bring judgment. But other times, uh, it's like when Christ was born. It's like the Lord has visited His people. And so, I guess that is the question. Is, is the Lord, you know, our friend? Is He paying a friendly visit? Or is He coming to uh, bring uh, some type of judgment or punishment? So, both, both of those are, are true in the Bible. Uh, verse 19, uh, Belinda, would you read? Why don't you just read 19 through the end of the chapter here, and we'll get ready to close up. How long wilt thou not depart from me? Now let me alone till I swallow down my spittle. I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee? O thou preserver of men, why hast thou set me as a mark against thee, so that I am a burden to myself? And why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away my injury? For now shall I sleep in the dust. And thou shalt take me in the morning, but I shall not be. Yeah, okay. So uh he wonders so he, he set he set a watch over him earlier, now he set he set him as a mark. He's he knows that he is being marked of the Lord. Uh, and and this is again a little bit of reference to the tribulation, uh, the mark of the beast, and uh so these are great theological questions. And verse 21 is really a special verse. And why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away mine iniquity? And so he's talking, he says, I, I am a sinner. I have sinned. And God, I need you to take this away. And, and so this, this really doesn't happen until the New Testament and the Lord... Uh, uh, does uh, die on the cross and he becomes sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And my teaching point there was just the Lord's compassions fail not for his mercies are new every morning. And I I kind of keyed on this verse just because it said there uh, that God visits him every morning. Did you see that? Um, it says the breath of God. We don't have the breath of God. Hmm. It does. Yeah, yeah. We die without the breath of God. That's a good observation there. I didn't. 
I didn't pull that out. Yeah. Any, any other thoughts or questions here as we uh, end today? I feel like we're kind of yeah, at the, at the end of verse 18, or in the middle of verse 18, it's where God visits him every morning. And so, you know, here we are on a Sunday morning. We're, we're studying the Word of God and uh, hopefully being encouraged of God's uh, mercy and His long-suffering. And we're seeing uh, Job's contemplating why he's in the situation he is. And Anyway, we talked about some pretty deep things tonight. today. Any other thoughts before we close? Well, just as Jesus was in the tomb was Jonah in the whale. So they both were dead. Yeah. Yes, they were. And brought back to life. Jonah was resurrected. I believe that. I do too. I, I, do, I believe that. Because it was mental. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Leo, I haven't asked you to pray for a while. Would you would you close us in prayer in Spanish or? Yeah. Um, Sarah Jeffries asked for prayer for her pain. She's still having a lot of mouth pain this morning. Okay. Uh, our friend Sarah in Topeka has uh, had some surgery. She's asking for prayer. Okay. If you want to lift that up, thank you.